This morning's scripture is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from, Naz- from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are now in the Lenten season. Yet, I feel like it is important for us to acknowledge that we've been in the Lenten season for far longer than just the past five, four days since Ash Wednesday. Because if you recall, March 15th of 2020, I like to refer to it as shutdown day, happened during Lent. It was in the Lenten season that all of a sudden our worlds just stopped and we were quite literally thrown into the wilderness. Maybe not like a physical, like overgrown area of shrubbery, but a wilderness of unknowns, trying to figure out how to live life in a new normal, trying to figure out what it means to have to stare at a computer screen for far too long of our day just to get our jobs done, trying to figure out what it means to live life without our jobs anymore, trying to figure out what it means to be the church when we can't even come to the church. And then along the way, things started settling. We started figuring out how to do this stuff a little more normally. But yet, even still now, things aren't quite the way they were March 14th, March 13th, leading all the way back. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that we are entering into the lentiest Lent ever, well, at least in our lifetimes, I would imagine, and yet we never actually fully came out of Lent previously. And so I think that it is important for us to acknowledge that now that we are in this new season of Lent, that we should be caring for ourselves as if we've been in Lent all along. And so, um, you know, Lent is a time when we start fasting from stuff, whenever we start giving stuff up in our lives uh, to to draw nearer to God, to go through this time of self-examination and reflection. If you're doing something for Lent, giving something up, fasting in some way, that's perfectly fine. If you're not, I want to give you permission to accept that as also perfectly fine. 
because we have given up so much in the past year of a full year of Lent. We have given up so much already that it might be time to take on something new. And not something too overwhelming, but maybe throughout this season we could start to take on something like looking for joy rather than suffering the complaints. Maybe throughout the season of Lent we could take on just caring for ourselves, saying, you know what, I need a nap, and that's okay. Maybe it means taking on love. And oh, there's that cheesy word that we throw around in the church far too often, but here's what I mean whenever I say taking on love. Our social world has like completely crumbled this past year. All of our social interactions are completely different now, even though today we could go to certain places and have types of social gatherings, it's still not quite the same as it once was. Our social world has crumbled in so many respects. And so I, I want to encourage us to take on love with a new type of intentionality, acknowledging love for one another as absolutely essential to holiness. Holiness is what we really end up talking about throughout the season of Lent. Originally, in the life of the church, as, it, uh, as it, the early church was really formulating its theology and what it means to be a church and what it means to be the people of God, uh, one thing that the church began to practice was adopting the same discipline that our Lord Jesus Christ adopted at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus was baptized, we have in our passage here, Jesus was baptized by John the baptizer, the Baptist, and then, in Mark's words, it happens very suddenly, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness for 40 days, and there fasted and was tempted and was with the wild beast and the angels waited on him. And then he comes back into the world and begins his ministry. Ministry did not begin for Jesus until after a season of preparation, a season of self-examination and reflection, a season of working towards holiness. And so the church adopted this, this practice in their own life, but kind of in the inverse, whereas Jesus was baptized and then got thrown into the wilderness, the church started adopting this practice called Lent, in which people who wanted to become part of the church would then go through this 40-day fast, preparing themselves for baptism on Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, anybody who wanted to join the church during that year prepared for the 40 days, and everybody was baptized all together on Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday. And Lent, that 40 days leading up to it, was a time of preparation for that, a, for, a preparation for entering into the ministry of the church. Not just so that they could come up and receive Holy Communion, that was a part of it. Not just so that they could come and sit at the closer pews, that was a part of it. But so that they could be wholly integrated into the very lifeblood ministry of the church. They went through 40 days of preparation, 40 days that was very attentive to holiness. 
For it says, be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. You must be holy also. So we're talking about holiness throughout these 40 days. And there is one facet of holiness that I feel like we often overlook. That's the the Western church in general. We live in a society that is individualistic. Um, It it is what it is. We live in a society that that focuses more on the me unit than the we unit. Eastern cultures are more collectivistic in nature and focus more on the we unit than the me unit. In the Western church, this uh, individualistic uh, nature the societal nature that we have all around us, ends up telling us that holiness is all a personal thing. We talk like a lot about our personal relationship with Christ. We talk a lot about our personal faith journey. And that's all well and good, but it's lacking in a broader concept, the social aspect of our faith. John Wesley, the founder of modern-day United Methodism, uh, and whose theology we adhere to uh, most in the United Methodist Church, in uh, in a series of hymns and poems and reflections that he wrote in the mid 1700s, I think 1753 is when this was written, but don't quote me on that, sometime around there, Um, Wesley was addressing this other side of Christianity that that was starting to arise in the mystics. And the mystics uh, is a very important part of our tradition and everything, Uh, but the mystics emphasized this personal holiness, this individual holiness, that if you want to attain holiness, then you need to spend a lot of time by yourself reflecting on uh, the Word of God, spending time in the Bible, spending a whole lot of time by yourself in prayer, spending a whole lot of time by yourself fasting. It's just like a whole lot of you time, like a whole lot in the mystic tradition. And so Wesley offers this critique of the mystic's approach to holiness. And he says, directly opposite to this, to the mystic way. Wesley says, directly opposite to this is the gospel of Christ. Yes, all caps, Christ. The gospel of Christ. Solitary religion is not to be found there. Holy, holy solitaries, in quotes, is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. And he's feeling some type of way about this. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social no holiness but social holiness. Faith working by love is the length and breadth and depth and height of Christian perfection. The commandment we have from Christ that he who love God love his brother also, and that we manifest our love by doing good unto all men, especially to them that are of the the household of faith. And in truth, whosoever loveth his brother, not in word only, but as Christ loved him, cannot but be zealous of good works. He feels in his soul a burning, restless desire of spending and being spent for them. My father, will he say, worketh hitherto, and I work. 
and at all possible opportunities, he is, like his master, going about doing good. All right, so 17, mid-1700s English, this gets a little bit, uh, it's not like what we're completely used to unless you spend a lot of time reading the King James Version of the Bible. What John Wesley is attending to here in this reflection is first and foremost, there is no religion but social. There is no holiness but social holiness. Now, this phrase often in the United Methodist Church gets co-opted a little bit out of context. It starts to uh, become not entirely what it's meant to be, and we can talk more about that at another time. But what I want us to focus on here is what he ends up expanding on when he describes social religion, when he describes social holiness. Is that great commandment? Who can recite for me the first and second greatest commandments that Jesus offers for us? The first? Yeah. Yeah, there we go, there we go. Yes, the first, when Jesus is approached by the the Pharisees and they ask him, which is the greatest commandment? Out of the 690 some odd commandments that we have, which one is the greatest? And Jesus says, you know the greatest. Don't be ridiculous. It's the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Against these there is no commandment. Why? Because love is the fulfillment of the law. So whenever I'm talking about adopting love this Lent, what I'm talking about is adopting a social religion, adopting a social holiness. What I'm encouraging us to do this Lent, if if you're giving something up, that's great, but I hope that you will take something on, something that is nurturing, something that truly leads us, propels us, perpetuates holiness in our life, and that is love, a social religion. One that is less concerned with the me and more concerned with the we, all of us. Church, while it is a singular noun, is a collective entity. It is not just a building, it is the people. And so as we're going into, in through this season of Lent, we're going to be focusing throughout this entire time on the notion of social holiness. Why? Because our social world has crumbled to some extent over this past year. Because we've been in the wilderness for far too long now, and it hurts. And we long for one another, for that communion, for that connection, for those hugs, for those handshakes, for us to just simply be in proximity to one another. Why? Because human beings are social creatures. In fact, we have such an aptitude for social, for being social, that we as human beings are able to do something that no other species on the entire planet is capable of doing. Controlling the world. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely astounding the capacity with which human beings, this very small infinitesimal uh, species of animal on the face of the planet is able to actually have global domination, and I don't use that word lightly, actually global domination. We have a control over the globe 
that no other animal is able to attain. Why? Because while other animals are, do have social natures to them, we have you know, herds and packs and animals that group together, pods, etc. Human beings and their social nature are able to reach far higher, to far greater lengths, to far greater depths than any other because we acknowledge the one crucial aspect of what it means to be alive. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone. It is very, very difficult. Uh, as many of you know, I'm in a, uh, in a program right now on clinical mental health counseling and uh, almost finished, graduating in May, super excited about that. But, but through all of this, my attention has been uh, very much on the social nature of human beings. And there is one complex emotion that is far more devastating to the human psyche than any other emotion. One complex emotion, more devastating than any other. Can you guess what it is? Loneliness. Think about that, the weight of that word, loneliness. It is devastating to human beings because Loneliness as a complex emotion encapsulates so many others. The second most devastating to human beings is also found in loneliness, and it is helplessness. We are social creatures, and how arrogant we sometimes are whenever we ascribe to a personal holiness, to say that holiness is just something that I do. No, holiness is something that we do as a people. And so, where all of this takes us in our passage is in a new direction. So Jesus has this, this uh, Mark here, if you've ever read through the book of Mark, it takes all, like everything else that's in the other gospels, all of this detail, it's just like not important to him. He just jumps from one thing to another to another. He's just jumping all the time. Mark said in, in, in just the matter of six verses or seven verses, he's able to say, Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And he comes up out of the water and the heavens are torn apart and the spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. What I, I love about the connection here, because this is the way my, my mind works. We have just before that verse 10, and the spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And then, one, two verses later, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So I kind of like, I have this picture of Jesus like running and being chased by a dove that's like pecking at him, like the Spirit's driving him out into the wilderness. And drives him out into the wilderness for 40 days where he is tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now, it might seem like this is implying to us that our path to holiness is an isolated one that we are called to go into the wilderness by ourselves to grow in our faith. While there is certainly an aspect of our growth that is something that we have to take responsibility for, 
The next part is the most crucial. Jesus did not stay in the wilderness. It's not like Jesus got into the wilderness and says, you know what, this is my home now. I'm just going to hang out here. And it's not so bad because I've got company of the animals and there are angels waiting on me and, and like we're having a really good time. I mean, who else has that opportunity? Jesus doesn't just stay in the wilderness. In fact, immediately after, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That word repent there is critical to the subsequent call that Jesus places. It's not just believe the good news. It's not just the kingdom of God has drawn near, believe the good news. It's the kingdom of God has drawn near, repent and believe the good news. Now, our modern day church has kind of been burned by the word repent because this word in, in uh, or taken out of context is often used to say, there is a lot of shame upon this people. There's a lot, of, a lot for us to be ashamed about, a lot for us to be embarrassed about. There's a lot for us to hide from one another. There is a lot of shame here, and so we all need to repent and step beyond our shame. No, that's not what the word repent means at all. The word repent is very simple. Very simple word. We've taken it so far out of context in the life of the church. It is simply to turn in a new direction. How light, how easy that is to digest. To repent is simply to turn in a new direction. Uh, some translators uh, put it to say to change one's mind. Others say to transform one's lifestyle. All, both of those are, are perfectly adequate, but the simplest translation of this is just to turn in a new direction. If I'm going this way, I have my mind set on this path and whatever's over there and whatever's leading me that direction. To repent is to say, nope, going this direction. Something, there is a change, there is a shift that says this direction isn't the way that I should be going and there is something over here that is more alluring. So Jesus recognizes that human beings, we have this kind of like one track mind that we can get on pretty easily. And Jesus says, I know that you're going in this direction. However, the kingdom of God has come near. Therefore, repent. Believe the good news. And so I'm calling us this morning to repent. To change directions. To repent from a personal religion. To repent from a, an isolated holiness. To repent of this notion that I have got it right. I can do this myself. I am sufficient. To repent and go in a new direction of social holiness. One that says, not only can I not do this alone, but I know that it is more important and more influential and more pivotal if we all do this together. My, how incredible Things can happen when we all do it together. This structure 
in which we reside right now and have church was not built by a single person. Incredible things happen when people acknowledge the social nature of their existence and live into that to say, we can do better things together. And that includes our journey of faith. That includes our holiness. Interestingly enough, Jesus, upon hearing that John is arrested, does not suddenly come out of the wilderness and go toward Pontius Pilate to say, hey, you've arrested my friend. Let's see if we can remedy this. Instead, Jesus goes to Galilee. These are the nobody peoples. These are the people like you, you don't even think about these people because they're so far out of the way. Jesus goes to Galilee, to the people, and begins recruiting disciples, acknowledging one important fact, that this good news, it will not go very far in isolation. And so Jesus recruits others and says, you know what, I've done my time in isolation. I've done my time of social distancing. It's time that we get into this together. And so he pulls on the disciples and he takes with him a group of people who then end up multiplying. My goodness, how they multiply. Thousands end up getting added to their numbers every day once we get into uh, the Acts church. A new direction in social holiness means being led by the Holy Spirit in love. And so I'm asking us today to take on love this Lent, to be willing to enter into this journey of social holiness, to acknowledge that our call is not in isolation but is in togetherness. And so my challenge for us today, my challenge for us today is simply to repent, to go in a new direction, a direction different than the one that we have been taking. Not to necessarily say that the way that the direction that we've been going is inherently bad or wrong, but simply that there is another option, another alternative that might be more fruitful, more incredible, more along the lines of God's kingdom coming nearer. And I think that happens together. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Let us join together as a church, a community of faith, to acknowledge that the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. Faith, working by love, is the length and breadth and depth and height of Christian perfection. Let us repent and proceed on in social holiness. And let us pray.